Hey guys, this is Anna. So today we got a decent amount to talk about. We got a few news stories, including one from Uzbekistan. So, you know, we got, so we got a little bit to talk about on the news front. Uh, another thing is, I was just thinking like the other night, you know, like, I, I forget what exactly what I said. Oh yeah, it was, I was listening to a podcast and I'm just sitting there and we're talking about some things that happened, you know, years ago. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> we used to have mass gatherings and not only that, we used to do them without masks. Wait, what? No. Oh. Oh, yeah, we did. Oh, wow, yeah. I, I, I went to a concert just a few months before COVID with like a thousand people. We were all like right like centimeters apart from each other with no masks on. Oh, my. I, I, I did that once, like. I've been other places, no masks, and a whole bunch of people. Oh my gosh, we used to do that before COVID. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk kind of about my feelings and thoughts about that um, later on in the episode, you know, and some other things, including a bit of a rant I want to go on about my beloved Star Trek, and because I finally watched um because I've been kind of watching for the movies, uh, you know, the Next Generation movies finally. Kind of want to rant a little bit in the final segment, you know, in our kind of chill out segment um, about Star Trek Insurrection. But, you know, but there's other things we'll be talking about. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to all of that as the show goes on. But first, you know, let's do our traditional thing. Get the news out of the way here in the first segment. Um, we only got about five stories a day. Um, obviously, I think the first one we got to get to is, uh, I mean, we got... I mean, there's a lot, there, there's a few good, really good things that have happened, um, and so just pretty awful. So, you know, it, it's a best of times and a worst of times kind of thing in many ways this week. So, um, Uzbekistan, they have decided, so like, to, okay, to, to, to set this up, um, uh, we kind of got to talk about, um, it's president and a law they made about for president. So, okay, Uzbekistan is in many ways a Republican Party wet dream, if if, if we're going to be so crude. Um, very conservative. Very conservative. You don't really have any rights there. It's very, very puritanical as well. You know, for instance, uh, you know, um, you can go to jail for having gay sex there. That is something that happens in Uzbekistan. And so just recently, you know, in a move that Donald Trump only wished could in a rule that Donald Trump and Republicans could only have dreamed of ever and could dream of. uh, They passed a law saying that you're not allowed to insult or slander the president. And of course, you know, they didn't give any actual, you know, guidelines of what counted as an insult, which for anyone who understands anything about politics, just straight up means Anything even remotely, it could be even remotely construed as negative about the president. You know, so that's kind of the society we're in. And they just passed that. And now, because of that, uh, lawmakers there, they want to pass a whole bunch of new laws, you know. um, Ones that ban speaking out about for or against certain things. And one of those is speaking out 
they want to ban speaking out in favor of gay marriage. Yeah, that that that's an overdue thing, um, because um, let's see. So yeah, we want to. So if we're going to be strengthening for laws, you know, um, against um, gay sex and gay marriage. You know, they want to strengthen up that. You know, make it even. You know, I guess like make the target. You know, like the punishments for those things even harder, even worse. You know. And then they also said that they want to ban any, quote-unquote, any disrespect for society. This is... Okay, let me try that again. So they want to ban any, quote-unquote, disrespect for society, the state, state symbols. And to... Um, they also want to... to as, And they also want to ban any call to public protest in, quote-unquote, in violation of the established order. And that would include... Speaking support for gay marriage, which they have said, quote unquote, is a crime against family, children and morality. Don't you just love it when government picks, you know, to it picks morality for us, you know, and they get to determine what's moral and what's not. OK, whenever government chooses that, you always know that. People are going to get seriously fucked over. What, like, why is does anyone think that government is or should be, you know, in business of deciding what's moral and what isn't? It never works out well, ever, not even once. Yeah, so yeah, that's going on in Uzbekistan. Very LGBT phobic there. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's bad. It, it, the LGBT community has no rights there. I mean. It, it it like we're just straight up getting beat up and like nothing happens. Like uh, oh gosh, um, there's one activist there, um, Bozlov, Bozlov. Uh, okay, let me look it up. Um, yeah, um, Rares Okay, I just totally butchered that. But the last name Bazarov, who's like one of our most um outspoken, um, you know, gay marriage supporters in the country. Like, they have been getting threats for a while, you know, they told the police about it, police did nothing, then shock of all shocks, got beat up, um, they were hit, beaten up with a baseball bat, and yeah, it just horrible condition. I mean, they are in horrible condition. We're gonna be in the hospital for a while. Um, just, just terrible happened to them. Yeah, that's the kind of country we are. Like, the police won't even protect you if you're LGBT from any sort of violence. Because that's just how they, 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 you are in that society. You are subhuman if you are LGBT. So, yeah, not good news coming out of Uzbekistan for the LGBT community. Um, Let's see. Now, coming over to the States. <sighs> Republicans in Tennessee are moving ahead, of course. Tennessee and Arkansas, I'm telling you, we're in a race right now. Just see which one could be the worst and most draconian state of the union right now. Um, Because believe me, we've got another story about Arkansas as well in this um in this episode. Like we could like every damn episode, we got to talk about Tennessee and Arkansas because we're just terrible states. Where on like I don't understand why on earth anyone would want to live in these states unless you're you know a white straight cisgender Christian male. 
anyway, so Tennessee. So I don't know. I, I, I turn to the side river. I really want to blow back for making this comparison. No, I'm not. I'm not going to get. I, I'm not going to make that comparison. Um, so. I can't believe I am even saying this. And that says a lot, you know, considering for bigotry and the depths of her bigotry, how there's no end to the depths of her bigotry against trans people. Um, and we've already talked about so many just beyond outrageous things that um, these Republicans have come up with. But this is a new low. Um, and I mean it. This is a new low. <sighs> I mean, this is one I genuinely, I didn't even foresee happening. Like, it, it, I, I, I just, I, I never would have guessed what happened. But it's happening. So, uh, in Tennessee, they are trying to pass a law that would require businesses to post signs saying whether they allow trans people to use the bathroom or not. No, I'm not making that up. You have to put a big target on yourself. Say, yeah, we're those people who, in the super conservative state, allow trans people to use the bathroom. Please target us, boycott us, you know, abuse our abuse the, our employees and the owners of this business until, you know, we say, yeah, fuck you, trans people. You, you can't use the bathroom here. This, that's all this is. This is... This is just a way for him to boycott any business who might get a little too uppity, you know, and supporting LGBT rights, you know, and trans people using the bathrooms and to pressure, you know, those businesses into saying, yeah, no, no, no bathroom. And also, you know, and if you don't, then guess what? You're just inviting people to, you know, kind of keep an eye on who goes to the bathroom because I'm just saying, you know, I don't want my daughter to, you know, go in that bathroom where that person who looked just looked a little too burly, you know, maybe just a little bit too tall, you know, walked into that women's bathroom, you know, clearly a man, you know, hair was just a little too short, you know. So I think I'm going to have to go on in, you know, and um, <clears throat> sort some business out, you know. D that's all this is. This is, saying, but this is literally him saying, hey, businesses, you're going to ban trans people from using your bathrooms because otherwise, to say it, uh, you're just you're just asking for it. You're asking for abuse from your customers. You know, if 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 you if you're okay, if you're you know your employees receiving death threats for allowing trans people to use your bathrooms, hey, that's on you. Hey, if you want violence in the bathrooms because hey, somebody who's just a little too burly walked into the woman's bathroom, hey, you, you that's blood on your hands. And say we didn't warn you. I mean, that's literally what this is. I want to make this very clear. This is Van pressuring businesses to try to shove LGBT people back in the closet. That's all this is. So yeah, just ugh, gosh, just absolutely horrendous what's going on in Tennessee right now. Um, how about in Arkansas? Because. Arkansas and Tennessee are just in a race to the bottom of human depravity right now. Um, yeah, they have just become the first state to ban um, affirming gender-affirming health care for trans youth. So yeah, if you're a trans youth, you can't get puberty blockers. 
and apparently even gender-affirming surgeries, despite the fact that nobody has ever allowed you to get trans-affirming surgeries or anything like that, you know, but yeah, you know, you're straight up not allowed to. Doctors who do give people, you know, trans youth puberty blockers can lose their licenses and, you know, um, healthcare, you know, insurance companies aren't, um, or will no longer be, um, covering it or anything like that. So yeah, once again, this is just needlessly cruel, just needlessly cruel. Um, and we're just saying, hey, you're going to be cis. We, you don't get to be trans. Who are you? Who are you to be any different? You do not get to be different. This is a homogenous society, you see. Um, you don't get to be different. No. And if you do, then guess what? We're going to make you suffer. We're going to make you pay for it. Because you do not get to be what we consider icky. Screw you. And not only that, screw your parents and screw anyone who wants to help you. Because fuck science. Fuck, you know, any wisdom that comes from the medical community. You know, and I loved how the Republicans literally admitted, like, one of the sponsors of the bill literally said, oh, yeah, we know for, we know that they never do gender-affirming surgeries on you. We know that. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, they just want to be cruel. They just want to make you suffer for being trans. They just want to make you suffer for being different. Because, God forbid, you, not everybody be straight, white, cisgender, um, you know, and Christian, you know. But and we're saying of us all is they have been giving like okay I want to say this straight up this idea that you should like should only give kids puberty blockers you know like delay you know for puberty then transition you know give them time to think about it that is very recent that is very recent back in the day like I'm talking back in the 1930s. That's how far back this goes, you know, giving trans youth, um, you know, gender affirming health care. Like, I, I know that nobody knows that. But if you do the research, if you were doing, if you were giving tr youth gender affirming hormones back in the 1930s, they didn't start giving youth um, uh, purity blockers since the 1990s, you know, but like back then. They just straight up, like, yeah, you didn't face a girl, okay, well, I mean, I'm, it was not this easy, but, you know, like, basically what is, you know, they gave trans girls estrogen, they gave trans men testosterone, like, this was what they did as far back as the 30s. This was done on trans youth and teens back then. But once it, this was quite rare. I mean, this was extremely rare, mainly because, you know, most people think very few were trans, you know, and even fewer, you know, were in a position where they could do it, you know, where their parents would even let them, you know. Like, very few ever had this happen to it. This is so beyond rare, but I don't blame you for not knowing about this. But I didn't know about that until actually just like a day or two ago, you know, when I was reading an article from a trans historian. Um, but yeah, no, this has been something that's been going like they did like almost a hundred years ago, my friends. So yeah, I mean, they like, they were doing that for decades 
So like, this idea that you should delay puberty and all that fact for trans youth and teens, that's a very recent thing in the grand scheme of things. In the past, they just pump, pumped them straight up on hormones. And so this, this whole stupid notion, you know, and I loved how they called it, you know, they said that what we're doing is experimenting on the kids. They had been doing this for like, you know, they, been, they put kids straight up on gender-affirming hormones back in the fucking 1930s. They've been giving kids purity blockers since the 1990s. This is not experimentation. They know what the fuck they're doing. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, there, there's really no debate about this. This is good. This is healthy. This is normal. This is just a slap in the face of science and moral decency. That's all this is. They just want people to suffer just for being different. That's all this is. Because guess what? If you're giving trans girls estrogen and trans men, uh, you know, trans boys testosterone back in the fucking 30s, 40s, and 50s. <sighs> Whatever. So yeah, Arkansas just wants people to suffer. What a shock. Um, Let's see. So we're going to say the, okay, yeah, let's, let's do this one. <laughs> So we're in the good news part. Sorry, I had to hiccups now. Of um the you know the new segment. So federal judge has so a federal judge has finally dismissed a challenge to Virginia's non-discrimination law. So last year, Virginia said, "Hey, you can't discriminate against LGBT people when it comes to housing or employment." Or um, a or uh, uh, public accommodations or access to credit, you know, you can't do that, and that includes you, religious organizations. If you're a church, you can't say to a gay couple, "We're not going to marry you in our church just because you're gay," you know. Uh, you can't if you're a religious school, you can't just you know say we're not going to hire this trans teacher just because you're trans. You can't do that anymore. And so, yeah, you know, there was a lawsuit, of course, from, you know, Christians who are, you know, Christian conservatives who are like, oh, we're being so persecuted by this, you know. It was by a uh, wedding photographer who, you know, said, uh, you know, like, well, you know, photographing gay marriage is offensive to my beliefs. I shouldn't have to do this. And, you know, and, and there was a few other organizations, like a few churches, religious schools, and all that stuff jumped on along with the lawsuit afterwards, you know. And, and the judge just said, yeah, get over it. Get over it. Now, yeah, Virginia was right in what it did. Um, we're going to uphold it. So, yeah, uh, guess what? You, you you don't get to say, nope, I'm not photographing, taking photographs of a gay wedding anymore. You don't get to do that. Sorry. You got to photograph a gay wedding. Have fun. And you know what? I say good. Good. No, if you're providing a public good, you got to serve the whole damn public. It, it, it's literally all or nothing. You don't you, you don't want to serve one segment of public? Then guess what? You don't get to serve any of the damn public. Shut the fuck down. Like, you don't want to shoot, do photography for a gay wedding? But guess what? Shut the fuck down. Get out of business. It's really that simple. Like, no, you don't get to just, you don't get to provide a public good for some people because you find them morally acceptable and not others because you find them morally unacceptable. No, you're providing a public good. It's everybody or nobody. It needs, we need to start, you know, stop pretending it's even remotely acceptable to discriminate people because it offends religious beliefs. No, you serve everybody or nobody. Get over it. Grow up, you know, if you don't want to. You know, bake a cake for that gay wedding. But guess what? Shut down your fucking bakery. 
yeah, I mean, it really needs to be that simple. Anyway, um, so yeah, good, good for the judge. Um, the so yeah, Virginia doesn't matter who you are, you don't get to discriminate against LGBT people for being discriminated um, just for being LGBT in any sense for anything. Anyway, so I think this is probably the big news of the week for us here in America. Um, the military is now releasing um, trans exclusive trans inclusive policies to reverse Trump's military ban. So yeah, the Department of Defense said, "Hey, if you're now, hey, we're gonna you know um, expand benefits and protections for transgender military members. You know, um, they are now going to be." Um, Allow, you know, first off, you know, the most obvious thing is, you know, hey, you can serve with us now if you're trans. Um, and not only that, we're actually going to say, we're actually not saying, yeah, if you serve with us, we'll give you gender affirming health care. So, yeah, that, that, that's a huge step forward. Not only do you get to serve, we're going to give you health care for being trans. So, yeah, that, that's what now to, for now, um, for now, getting ready to impose on the military. Um, and let me actually just quickly check the article here to see if there's anything really worth mentioning in particular from this article. Um, nope. So I think, honestly, I think that's really everything, you know. So, you know, I mean, it was just needlessly cruel to ban trans people in the military. They never had a good reason to do it. This whole narrative that they had about it being like social experimentation, you know, is this bullshit, you know. And this whole narrative, like, like trans people were holding back the military. I, like, none of it made any sense. It was completely devoid from reality. It only makes sense if you believe this weird-ass conservative strawman of trans people, which is, oh, yeah, exactly what they were going off of. Not reality, just off of a fucking straw man that Tucker Carlson created on Fox News. So yeah, you know, it finally ended that needlessly cruel regulation. So yeah, you know, if you are trans and you wanted to serve in the military, well, guess what? You're not get to. You're not going to get to. And only that, we're going to give you those hormones. So yeah, good news, good news. Um... Glad to see the Biden administration being such a damn good ally for the LGBT, especially trans community. Couldn't have, honestly, could not have happened at a better time, um, getting him in as president. Anyway, yeah, that's everything for this new segment. Um, we're going to come back to another segment after this break. So, yeah, we're going to hear from our sponsors now. Alrighty, we are back. And so yeah, in this segment, I just wanted to talk a bit about COVID, you know, and life before it versus now, you know, it just, I don't know, it just feels like life before COVID was like some alternate reality at this point. Like, I just sit here and I think, there was life before COVID? You know, I was listening to a podcast a few days ago, and the guy was talking about how he had just been watching a video from 2015 of just a really large flash mob of musicians, you know, in Italy. You know, it was like a thousand musicians, you know, and there were, you know, like probably a few hundred people watching, you know, who were there milling about and started watching them. <clears throat> and no social distancing, no masks. 
and he's he was talking about like how he was just like freaking out at the beginning like why aren't you social distancing where's the mask what's wrong with you and he's like oh wait we didn't have to do that in 2015 there was a time when we didn't have to worry about these things there was a time when we when nobody when there was no term social distancing. Like if you were to say social distancing, we would just stare at you like, what, what, what the fuck are you talking about? What, what's social distancing? Remember when there was a time when that was actually when like, like seriously, just imagine, just think how in one year, this completely new term, social distancing, is just completely embedded in us. It's like a word we say like a hundred times a day now. Just you know, a, a, you know, five years ago, like we, we we would just be like, if you were to go back to five years ago, you, and you were to say social distancing, five years ago, you would just stare at you like you're a raving, like what, like what, what are you talking about? What's what, what's this social distancing thing? It's crazy. It is crazy. Just how different. I mean, not only just, you know, we as humans are, you know, like, seriously, we have all changed dramatically as people in this year. You know, life is completely different now and it ain't ever going back to the way it was. Can, can we all just agree on that? Like, the way things were is just gone. It's done. It's n Things are never going back to the way things were. And to be honest, probably a good thing. Um, but... <sighs> Just the world, like it's crazy. Just it, like pre-COVID world, and you know, current, you know, like post-COVID world are so different. Like it just feels like completely different realities. You know, like I am thinking back to when I went to a concert. You know, uh, I've I've been to three concerts in my life. The first two were at a church. We were at, you know, churches, you know, and they were very simple affairs, you know. Like, they just stood there on the stage, you know, the church stage, you know. They had just these lights, you know, simple lights just shining down, you know. And it was simple, you know. They were very simple things, you know. Um, the first one was Jason Gray, uh, Josh, Wil Josh Wilson, and J.J. Uh, Heller, which was okay, eh. Jason Gray was pretty much the one genuinely good actor. Okay, Josh Wilson's, I didn't really enjoy his songs, but he could have, he put on a good performance. You know, he was entertaining to watch. But Jason Gray had, was by far and away the best. Then the second one was Jordan Feliz, uh, Plum. It was okay. Eh, Plum. Jordan Feliz was fucking awesome, though. Um, and Big Daddy Weave, who was pretty good. You know, he, 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 he was solid. Jordan Feliz was definitely the highlight there. Because I am a huge Jordan Fleas fan, I will let you know. Um, but yeah, you know, but like very simple ass affairs, you know. And then I went to a concert for my favorite artist, NF, who may not be have the name recognition of like Taylor Swift or Coldplay or Maroon Five, you know. But he's still a very well selling artist, you know. This is a guy who, for two straight albums, was number one, you know, who sold, you know, 100,000, who has sold, I think, I don't think, as of the recording of this, we have not gotten official numbers for 
his newest uh, mixtape clouds, but it looks like it'd be somewhere around a hundred thousand. So you know, but this is a decently well-selling artist. You know, this is, you know, a, like not a top top tier. You know, like Eminem or Drake or Taylor Swift. You know, like doesn't sell quite as well as those. But this is a top tier. This is still, you know, a. I guess, you know, a second-tier selling artist, you know? An artist who on most weeks would be number one, you know? And I was not expecting, you know, first off, how big the crowd would be. It was a thousand-plus people. And second, the light show. You know, I didn't expect, like, these constant flashing lights going in and out, lasers and all that shit, you know? Which gave me, which put me on the verge of an epileptic seizure, because I do have epilepsy, and it never occurred to me that he would do such a thing. Uh, you know, have such a big light show, you know? So, yeah, I, I so for my favorite artist, I had to keep my eyes closed 95% of the time, and almost had a seizure several different times throughout the show. So, yeah, that, that was fun. Um... But yeah, you know, it, but like the entire time, it was a thousand people packed in a tight room. We're all like centimeters apart from each other. If even that, you know, a lot of time we're shoulder to shoulder. No masks, no social distancing, no masks. I look back at that and like, what were we thinking? <laughs> like even not, not, it doesn't even just matter with COVID, like. Just seeing, like, just someone had the cold or a, or a fever. The whole fucking room is going down. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like, now I just saying that for any disease. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I want social distancing for any disease. Like, I want masks for, like, any disease now. Like, it's a different world. Like, I actually care about, you know, other diseases and other illnesses for once. It's not, like, this trivial thing. It's just, like... <laughs> No, I, I like I, I am paranoid about any fucking illness now. Not just COVID. How about birthday parties? Remember back when the good old days when it was somebody's birthday, you know, we'd light candles and they'd spit all over the cake. I mean blow out the candles. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I could ever do that again. I mean first off, you know, I I've never I haven't blown out candles since I was ten, but you know, like, I would never blow out a cake again, because it's like, well, I'm not spinning on this cake. You know, but also, you know, somebody else were, you know, to blow out candles, like, I'm not touching that cake. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't touch that cake with a 30-foot pole. I am not eating that. You just spit all over that cake. But yet, we never thought of that before COVID. Never. Like, I would just eat that cake. Yum, yum, yum. Eat that person's spit. Because apparently, you know, other people's spit is yum, yum, yum. It's a different world, man. It's a different world. We're different people. I, I'm just amazed at how much things have changed from one damn pandemic that we never got under control. Big bait because money. You know? It... <laughs> Oh my gosh. I sorry, I just had in my mind right now the song Cream by Wu Tang Clan just play in my head, you know. Cream, you know, it rules you know, cash um rules everything around me. Dollar dollar bill. Like it's so true. Cash rules everything around me and we saw that in the pandemic. 
you know, with people saying, you know, yeah, you should sacrifice grandma for the sake of the economy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, who knew that song would um be 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 ever so timely? Um <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, we are such different people, you know. Yeah, and it's crazy. Back during that time, 2019, when I went to the concert, that was a time when I was finally starting to break out of my shell. When I was like, all right, you know, I am going to start, you know, interacting with people for the first time. Because my entire life, I have been a hermit, you know. Um, and, and I don't mean that lightly. Like, no, like, I was a hermit. I went to make that clear. <laughs> I never got out. Like, for me, getting out, like, I only ever got out for church and to work. I did not ever, I had, I never hung out with friends. You know, in fact, I didn't even really have friends, you know, because I didn't want to make friends because I preferred to be alone. You know, I liked staying inside the house all day long. Uh, you know, I didn't want to interact with society at all. But late 2019, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe like late summer 2019 was when I started wanting to get out more. Started wanting to kind of make friends, you know, find a community, you know, break out of that shell, stop being a hermit. COVID just completely ruined that. It completely destroyed that movement in me. Now it's just like, it's just solidified in me, the hermit lifestyle I had always lived beforehand. Like, now it's just like, I, I'm just back to the way I was and it just... Was it bringing me that much stress? Like, it's just, it just completely solidified in me who I was. Like, I was a hermit growing up, and I was just like, yeah, I am a hermit now, you know? And now, you know, I don't have a church, you know, and I currently don't have a job, but whenever I do get a job, you know, that's like going to be the only time I go out, you know? Like, it doesn't really provide me any motivation to go find a church, really. You know, it doesn't really provide me much motive. I don't feel any motivation to go out and really find a too much of a community. Like, I don't know, like, I'm just back to, but, okay, I guess it's hard to explain. Like, I'm back to being completely comfortable being a hermit. But at the same time, I guess there's just a small part of me, a small part of me that at times comes out. You know, probably from how much time I have on my hands. You know, I don't have the internet to distract me all the time, you know, like I did before and all that stuff, you know. The kind of wants a community, the kind of wants to go out and make friends, like, it doesn't come out often, you know. And most of the time, if it does come out, it's just like a small undercurrent that I can feel, you know. Just something that's kind of just... I can feel, but, like, it doesn't overwhelm me. But then there are times when it's just silent. Nothing to distract me. You know, especially in moments when I know that the rest of my family or my friends are out there, you know, having fun with others, you know, or making memories with other people, you know, whether it's a part of her community, of her friends, or, you know, for church or whatever, you know. And I just feel like, Damn, I wish I was a part of a community. Damn, I wish I was hanging out. Like, I really had friends to hang out with. That doesn't feel good. 
but it doesn't come out enough for me to actually feel any motivation to do anything. 99% of the time, I am happy as a hermit that I am. Don't really feel much motivation to change outside of maybe a small undercurrent of discomfort with, you know, you know, with my current life situation, you know. It's just like, I know in my heart of hearts, I want a community. I want a community to be part of. I want friends. I want to be part with family, you know, like, no, I want to be, you know, my heart of hearts, a part of a church. Despite all my fears, you know, despite, you know, my greatest memories growing up of church was corruption and backstabbing, you know, being told in church, hey, you know, the reason all these bad things happen is because you let gays out of the closet, you know, LGBT people are subhuman, you know, and just so many other harmful things at church, you know, like still a part of me that just in my heart of hearts wants to be part of a church. You know, other Christians, you know. There's a part of me that wants to, you know, be able to call a friends and spend the nights, you know, just hanging out, you know, spend some time hanging out. But it's just like, I don't have that. At the same time. That's it, so rare when that part of me is able to come out. I do everything in my power to make sure that I don't ever feel discomfort with that, you know? 99% of the time, you know, I'm reading or watching Star Trek or I'm playing video games. If I want to get a job, you know, add that to that list of things, you know? There's just not as much time for that, my heart of hearts, you know, my true desires to come out. So I am happy with the hermit I am. Especially because that's how I lived for, you know, the first about 20 years of my life, you know. First 21 years, I don't know, like what? I'm trying to think. Yeah, you know, about the first 20 years of my life, you know. 21 or 20, 21 years of my life, whatever, you know. You know, 99% of my fucking life, you know. 99, point, you know, I was a hermit, you know, and I was happy with that for the most part. So it's just comfortable, you know, where I am. It's just comfortable. Like, I'm used to this. I know how to live like this. I don't know how to live with a community, especially because, you know, the churches I was a part of beforehand, you know. I was never really a part of that community, you know. I never really had friends from there, you know, except for, like, maybe one point at near the end of my time at church in Toledo, you know, like I like I was always kind of like you know I always kept myself separate because I was different from them and I knew that because my being trans, you know, like I tried, you know, it's not like it was a lack of trying, you know, but I just never fit in, you know, so I, I just never was really part of the community at the church, you know, I never there was never a church I felt truly a part of and then you know once I realized I was trans you know all the churches we went to you know were very anti-LGBT so I purposely hid away you know and could totally remove myself whereas before it wasn't really a so much of a conscious thing as a subconscious like just knowing I was different you know 
So it's just like, I don't have, you know, this bright image, you know, of, you know, a church, you know, for me to chase after. You know, I don't have this bright image of a community to be a part of. I don't have this bright image of, you know, friendships to to miss and mourn, you know. It's just like, like I know so many people who is just like, you know, like, they have a community, whether it's a church or something else, you know. It's like, I can't imagine living without them, you know. So involved with them, you know. I have these friends, you know, who I love dearly, you know, like, couldn't, you know. Couldn't live without him, you know, like, for, you know, super close, you know, we're always hanging out together, you know, like, I have, like, all days, like, my Facebook and Instagram feeds are just filled with people, you know, just showing all of our friends that we're constantly hanging out with, and it's just like, I've never had that, I've never had that kind of human connection, you know, I've never really had that friend where I could just, like, go and hang out all the time, you know, at best, I had this friend I, you know, I would hang out with every now and then, you know. Never had that church I was truly a part of, you know, felt connected with. I never had a community, period, like it was like that with. I just don't have that experience with other humans, you know, of human connection. And honestly, like when I think about it with my heart of hearts, like, I guess the reason why, especially, it doesn't come out so much, and why it's something that I don't buy myself tortured over, is because because I don't have that image, you know. I don't have those memories, you know. In fact, most of the time when I was a part of community, I was kind of excluded, you know, kind of had to hide myself from my friends because I was scared of them finding out that you know I was different, you know. I did want to be a girl, you know, I wasn't happy as a guy. And all these people, you know, they were proud of being men, you know. They loved it, you know, and as I got older, you know, I realized I was trans. Like, oh, everybody finds trans people to be icky. If I live in Nova, then we're going to think I'm icky, so I just got to hide. You know, like, I just don't have these positive human connection, human interaction, you know, references, you know. So, I guess for me, you know, it's more of a longing for that rather than trying to bring back what I once had. Like, I just never had that. You know, I don't understand it. Like, I don't understand what it's like to truly be a part of a community. I don't know what it's part like to be part of a church family. I don't know what it's like to have this really close friend that you love. You know, you're spending a lot of, you're you're spending a whole lot of time with, you know, you know, you know really what's going on with that other person all the time. You know, like, I guess I have a few online, like I have an online friend, you know, who like I know decently well, but it's not like, you know, we can hang out, you know, she lives in Oklahoma City. I live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We don't really hang out, you know. And, you know, we, we, I feel like we know, we do know decently well, you know, a Trevor's lies as well as you can online, but, and I'm going to make it clear, like, I love her, you know, but still online, you know, like, there's a, you know, like, there's only so much you can get to know of the other person online that you can't in person, and I feel like we've kind of, 
And we've been at that limit for a very long time. You know? There's only so much of that person you can get to know online only. And there's a part of me that's like, I want that human, you know, that in, you know, that in real life connection. But it's just like, because, you know, I never had that in the past, you know. I never was even really given the chance because my parents sheltered me so much, you know. They didn't really even want me for a lot of time, you know. In fact, they actually actively got in the way of me making these connections a lot of the time. If I'm being honest, you know, my parents really did keep me, prevent me from having friends. In fact, there were times when they actively removed me from friendships, you know. These were not bad friendships. It was just because, you know, for various reasons. For me, and I guess, like, it's just something that can only come out every now and then. I mean, sure, you know, there is me distracting. But even then, there's still so much downtime when I'm not doing anything during the day. And it just doesn't come out because, once again, I'm so used to being a hermit. You know, I never had that deep friendship growing up, you know. I never had that community I was a part of. Like, I didn't go to school. I was homeschooled. You know? And we weren't, like, a part of a co-op, really, except for, like, one year, you know, when we did strictly science classes, you know. So we never really got close to anybody there with that, you know. Um, yeah, you know, uh, most of my t life, I was just sheltered from other kids, you know. Even when I went to church, you know, I didn't really, it wasn't, you know, for various reasons, you know, whether it was my parents, me, or just things I was involved with, you know, that my parents forced me involved with, I just never got to get close to anybody else, you know. Just never really had the chance to make human connection in the past. If I'm being honest, it's still kind of hard for me to be around other people in real life. I still kind of feel awkward, like I don't really know exactly what I'm doing, you know. I still find myself like, what is the socially responsible response to this, you know. How am I supposed to act around others, you know. What would be the response, you know, the friendly response, you know, like. Don't really know how to hold on a friendship, you know, if I'm being honest. Like, I honestly feel completely inadequate as a friend, you know. Like, I have a few people I can call friend, you know, one online, a few offline. But I feel like I, I'm the worst friend who ever existed. I don't do enough to keep up with him. I rarely ever see them in person. I've only ever actually really hung out with like, what, maybe two or three of them, you know? Even then, you know, for very, very specific reasons, because they were mostly, most, except for all, except for one, is because they were helping me out, you know, with something. Don't really know what it's like to just kind of Hang out with a friend. Don't really know it's like. Just sit down and talk with one. 
I'm being honest. A lot of the time, I don't really know if I really know what it means to be a friend. You know, I, I, I have people telling me, you're not a terrible friend. I just can't convince myself of that, you know. Especially when I see, you know, others that I know, you know, how they interact with her friends. Knowing that it, my friendships don't look anything like that. Like, you know, like, these people, they, like, they know so much about their friends. And it's just like, I really don't know that much about my friends. You know? We kind of keep our distance in many ways, you know? Emotional distance, you know, stuff like that. You know, I guess it kind of really hit me or just now that Nobody really, like, everybody, you know, just knows different aspects of me. There's really nobody who really knows all that much more than just, like, a certain aspect of my life, really. It's re My life is really segmented off from person to person, you know? My blood family, you know, my parents and my sisters... They don't really know much about my day-to-day -day life. They don't really know much about my friends. You know, my mom kind of does, but they know that, you know, I have a few people I call friends, so I don't really know anything about them except for my mom with one of my friends, you know. She kind of knows a little bit, you know. Once they were to get a job, they wouldn't really know much about that, you know. I'd only tell them, you know, bare basics. You know, my friends, they only know certain aspects, you know, whatever it is that I happen to bring up to them, and it never really grows deeper than that. Because I really don't have any truly deep relationships. Like, I'm kind of just out there. Anyways, kind of alone. Just... Me really being the only one who knows that much about myself. I guess that's honestly, now that I think about it, is the full reason why I do so much online, make so much online content, why I blog, why I'm on, why I love Twitter, why I do YouTube videos, why I even do this podcast. It's because these are places where I can go to let out what I think and feel because I don't really have people that I can talk about these things with, you know. I don't really talk get to talk too much about my political beliefs, you know. I don't really get to talk too much about trans liberation and trans issues. I don't really get to talk about what's going on in my life, you know, with people. The only place I can do it is on my blog, on my YouTube channel, on this podcast. This is it. This is my outlet. I mean, I get to let out certain things with friends, you know, certain things with family. 
so limited. And there's so much I just need to let out. And so I have to let out, you know. Find the most vulnerable parts of me on the internet to a bunch of strangers. You know? I think about the things I've written on my blog. How vulnerable so many of the things I've written are. And how so many of those things are things that people have told me you shouldn't ever tell strangers on the internet, you know? Like, these are things that people could use against me, you know? Like, I have been more vulnerable with complete strangers on the internet than I ever have been with somebody I know in real life. I am not joking or exaggerating one bit. There is not a single person in real life I have been more vulnerable with than complete strangers on my blog, on my YouTube channel, on my Twitter. Heck, I mean, literally, I'm not even joking. And I guess it's really only now, because as I'm talking about this all, I'm realizing kind of how fucked up that is. <laughs> and yet, when I finish this podcast, it's Sunday, it's Easter morning. And I, I just finished, you know, I got up and I immediately started doing my Sunday morning routine of listening to the Liturgist podcast. You know, I did that. Then I ate a breakfast of a Jimmy, Jimmy Dean English muffin um, breakfast sandwich. You know, while watching the newest thought, you know, not the newest, but, you know, a thoughts line video on Super Straits. And then I immediately started recording this segment. After I finish this segment, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, and I'm going to watch a few episodes of Deep Space Nine. And then I'm going to, you know, probably maybe play a few video games, and I'm going to head out to my parents for, you know, so I can say hi to my sister who's visiting from home from college for the weekend. Before she goes home, before she goes back to college, spend the rest of the day with my parents doing laundry and... Just hanging out with my parents, playing some video games, maybe watch a movie, watch Andy Griffith later with my mom, if you have to say Andy Griffith with my mom before I head home. I'm just not going to think about this stuff for the rest of the day. It's going to be gone from my mind. Tomorrow? It's going to be gone from my mind. Tuesday, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go out shopping. You know? Gonna, and after all that, I'm going to go to the library, spend time online. And I come home, play video games, watch videos, gonna watch Star Trek, gonna read some books, go to sleep. Tuesday, gonna get up, probably watch some videos, maybe play video games, and I'm gonna go meet with my case manager, tell her a bunch of lies to make her feel like, feel better about me, and she really should. Then I gotta go home. No, I don't know. Actually, probably gonna go to the library. Spend time on the internet. Go home. Play some video games. Read some books. Watch some Star Trek. Go to sleep. Wake up Wednesday. Play some video. And I already can play video games. Maybe watch a few videos. Go to my parents. Have a therapy session. Spend the rest of the day with my parents. 
I'm not going to think about this at all. There's just going to be no time. I'm just going to live in this comfortable hermit lifestyle. Knowing it's not truly what I want. And I do want more. But because I am so comfortable with this. And in fact, I don't have time. Necessarily. I'm not going to really let myself think about this. Not going to. Not going to bother me. Not going to change. Anyway, um, so yeah, we're going to take a, I, I have really nothing more to say on this. I don't think I really can say anymore. So yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back in about a minute and a half. Hey guys, this is Anna. So if you enjoy my content, whether it's my blog or my videos, or maybe even both, hopefully, uh, feel free to support me on Patreon. The link is in the description below, though you can look me up on Patreon just, you know, by looking up Anna Hudak. And so if you do, we have three tiers, $3, $5, and $10. At $3, the main reward is getting the podcast early. At $5, you get several rewards, um, including some things that I, you, unfortunately, am not really able to fulfill on at the moment due to the fact I don't have internet at my place yet, um, which is uh, access to um, research papers. Um, I, I, when I do have access to internet, I am always working on those. Right now, I've been lately working on one about transhuman and what the science says about them. But especially at $5, I think the most enticing reward is getting access to all my videos on YouTube early. And then on the $10 tier, you get one to two videos early. You can suggest videos and podcast topics, among other things. And so feel free, once again, the link will be in the description below to support me on Patreon. I also You can also do one-time payments through Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. If it's the route you would rather go. Anyway, thanks for listening. And for those who do choose to financially support, thank you especially. Hey, all right, everybody. We are back for the final segment. And so as maybe some of you know, I am a huge Star Trek fan. Um, you know, I first watched... Actually, the way I got into Star Trek was actually our parents showing us um, Galaxy Quest first. And then they showed us Star Trek Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock and Voyage Home. Then we watched, you know, like, we're basically like the best episodes of um, the original series. And, you know, and over the time, I kind of dabbled in it, you know, Star Trek. But a few months ago, I finally decided to just really dig deep into Star Trek. Oh, yeah, and also throughout the time, I would read some of the books, but, you know. Um, so, yeah. And so I have been um, watching through Next Generation. I've been watching through pretty much all the shows. So for Voyager, because Voyager sucks. I, I, I try to get into that show. It, it just sucks. Um, but yeah, you know, I've been watching for the Next Generation movies minus First Contact because I don't do horror. And, oh, gosh. So yeah, I, I've watched now Insurrection. And I mean, I already watched Generations quite a while ago. Um trying to think when would it have been yeah i don't even remember but uh, anyway um so yeah you know in the last few nights i watched both insurrection and nemesis and nemesis was actually pretty darn good i was actually i i don't okay i guess i kind of understand why a lot of people hate that movie but at the same time i don't like 
I thought it was a very good movie. I would say for me, it's a top five Star Trek movie. Like I would say, like like oh gosh, so I would say Wrath of Khan is the best Star Trek film. Undiscovered Country, wait, is that it? Yeah, Undiscovered Country is two. Um, then let's see. I would say Star Trek. Um, then number three would be Star Trek Beyond. Four would be Nemesis, and then five would be Voyage Home. That's how I'd rank them. Uh, you know, my top five Star Trek films. But you know, so I'm gonna not lie. Insurrection may be the most disappointing of the Star Trek films, and for the simple reason that it could have been so much better. Like it had an amazing premise. Like I loved the premise. You know. Um, you know, it was basically the Trail of Tears, you know, but in a Star Trek universe. I just realized I have a large international audience, and I better probably give a quick explanation of <laughs> what the Trail of Tears is. Okay, like, this could be a broad interview, so if you want to know more, just research it on the internet. But basically, to catch, you know, the international audience up to speed, because I have surprisingly quite a few who live in India, UK, and uh, Canada, and a few other countries. Even Russia, even, uh, is listening. Um, basically, uh, our American forefathers decided to um, kick out the natives and made them walk a really long, brutal road out west. So yeah, you know, when we were expanding back in the early 1800s, we decided, you know what, we want more land. And so do you know what we're going to do? Screw over the natives. We're going to kick them off our land. You know, even if we have contracts signed with them saying that they get to live there. What we're going to do? Just say, screw you. You're not, you are not as important as us. You see, us... Your, you know, your white colonizers were more important than you. And so, yeah, we sent, we sent them out west. Um, you know, thousands died, you know, on this, uh, what we have now called the Trail of Tears, you know, as we brutally forced them through horrible conditions um, out west. And so, yeah, this way, you know, and it was a brutal relocation you know, because the need of the many colonizers outweighed the needs of the native few, apparently. And so, you know, in many ways, insurrection was kind of, you know, like it was all about relocating a small group of people to meet the need of the Federation colonizers. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. And yeah, you know, the, you know, the Enterprise crew saying, screw you. I know, um, we're not allowing you to relocate these people. Nuh-uh. And you know what? It, man, this movie could have been so damn good. It could have been so good. But, oh my God. Like, like I loved, like, that moment when, um, when Picard was talking with the Admiral, you know, in his office, um, you know, and the Admiral was just sitting there just trying to justify it to Picard, you know, he was talking about, you know, like, 
are you really going to, you know, hold back so many just because of 600 people and all that stuff, you know? Just, like, clearly in an attempt to moralize it in a way that people do try to moralize the oppression of minority groups, you know? Or, you know, just any group that you don't like that you want to get rid of, you know? And Picard's just, you know, him just trying to keep his cool while arguing against this, make a cool, level-headed, intelligent response to all of this. Just awfulness, pure awfulness, you know? That was an amazing scene. Honestly, one of my favorite moments in any Star Trek film, period, you know? Um... But yeah, the the rest of the movie was a fucking mess. You know, it's not a bad movie by any means, you know, on Letterboxd, um, which I will leave a, a, a link to my Letterboxd profile. It's a dope-ass uh, movie reviewing website, if you don't know. Um, you know, I gave it a three out of five stars, you know, or on IMDb, which I also have a profile on, you know, and I say six out of ten. You know, like, it's a decent movie. Like, it's not bad but oh my gosh it could have been so much better like had great philosophical questions you know it like some of the conversations about this were amazing in the film but my god it was poorly paced i mean pretty much all of the next generation films suffered from that you know generations have that i mean Yeah, that that was a poorly paced us. Nemesis, which I actually liked. You know, I gave that way about three and a half stars out of five on Letterboxd. So that'd be a seven out of ten on IMDb. You know, um, even that was pretty poorly paced. So yeah, they got problems with pacing when it comes to the next generation crew. Um, so that's not that's nothing new. Um, a bit unnecessarily cringe at moments. Um, what the hell was up with um, Riker's beard? Like, why why did he shave the beard? No, no, buddy. Keep, keep, keep the fucking beard, okay? For the love of God. Keep the beard. <laughs> it's it, it, like a pride. It's your trademark. Like, just imagine Master Chief and Halo taking off the helmet, okay? Imagine, you know... Uh, I just realized I can't make that argument because they just said it. Never mind. Um, let me think. Like, imagine Mario not wearing red and red shirts and cap with blue overalls. Like, bruh, it's heresy. Dude, keep the fucking beard on. Like, why did you shave it off? And not only that, you know, like, my gosh. That, like, them trying to rekindle the relationship between Diana and Riker was just so cringe. It felt so unnatural, just so forced into the movie. And then he just completely unceremoniously dumped it for the second half, you know? <laughs> like, I never thought I would see a day when we had such a half-baked, forced um, relationship done worse than that despicable t- Me Too relationship between Margot and whatever the fuck was that kid's name, you know? Um, but she kind of had a crush on where, you know, like just out of nowhere, she kind of started liking him. And basically the relationship just went, just disappeared, you know, uh, so unceremoniously for the, you know, the final act. Like it was just like, uh, 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 
one of the reasons why Despicable Me 2 was just so mediocre. But yeah, but yeah, like it just was so a force and unnatural in this film. Just like why, why? Well, oh gosh, it was not done well. Not done well at all. And then yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember what were some of my other. I had a few other criticisms. I can't think of them off the top of my head at the moment. But yeah, you know, it was it was it was a good film, you know, but. Eh. My gosh, it could have been so much better. It really could have been so much better. <sighs> oh well. Past is in the past. Uh, is there anything else I want to talk about before we get to the new good news story? Hmm. Let me think about this for a moment. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Okay. Alright, so let's get to the good news story of the day. So this is from Good News Network. <clears throat> Parole officer empathy training leads to a 13% drop in offenders returning to jail. A new study suggests that empathy training for parole and probation officers helped deter her clients from reoffending. Heavy caseloads, job stress, and biases can negatively affect relations between those office, these officers and their clients, leading to the likelihood of offenders landing back behind bars. A positive psychology intervention developed by UC Berkeley suggests that non-judgmental empathy training helps court-appointed supervision officers feel more emotionally connected to their clients, which the new study shows might deter them from criminal backsliding. The findings, published last month in the Journal Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences, show, on average, a 13% decrease in re Gosh, how do you pronounce this word? Um, I am just going to guess. Uh, recidivism? Recidivism? I have no idea. R-E-C-I-D-I-V-I-S-M. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Um, anyway, among the clients of parole and probation officers who have participated in the empathy training experiment. If an officer received this empathetic training, real-world behavioral outcomes changed for the people they supervised, who in turn were less likely to go back to jail, said it was study lead and senior author Jason Oko, Oko, oh gosh, Okonafua. Okonafua? I am, I, I am just guessing that's how it's pronounced. An assistant professor of psychology at UC Berkeley. The results are particularly salient because of the universal blah, the U.S. criminal justice system has among the highest rates of recent recidivism, with approximately sixty-six percent of incarcerated people rearrested within three years of a release, with one half being sent back behind bars. Okona Fua, who has led similar interventions for school teachers to check for biases before disciplining students, points out that ongoing criminal justice reforms are diverting more people away from incarceration and toward probation or parole, which is why we need to develop scalable ways to keep with it, to keep pace with this change. At the invitation of a correctional department in a large East Coast city, Okonafua and graduate students in his UC Berkeley uh, sought to find out if a more caring approach on the part of court-appointed supervision officers would reverse trends in recidivism. For the study, the researchers <clears throat> surveyed more than 200 parole 
um, and probation officers who oversee more than 20,000 people convicted of crimes ranging from violent crimes to petty theft. They make sure the clients don't miss a drug test or court hearing and provide resources to help them stay out of trouble and out of jail. The researchers designed and administered a 30-minute online empathy survey that focused on the officer's job motivation, biases, and views on relationships and responsibilities. To trigger their sense of purpose and values and tap into their empathy, the UC Berkeley survey asked what parts of the work they found fulfilling. One respondent talked about how, when I run across these guys and they're doing well, I'm like, awesome. And others reported being an advocate for people in need was the most important to them. As for addressing biases, these including assumptions that certain people are predisposed to a life of crime, survey cited egregious cases in which probation and parole officers abused their power over those under their supervision. Survey takers are also asked to rate how much responsibility they bear as officers and members of a profession for their peers' transgressions. Most answered they had borne no responsibility. Ten months after administrating this training, researchers found a 13% decrease in recidivism among the offenders whose parole and probation officers had completed the empathy survey. Research protocols bar identifying the agency and its location. While the study yielded no specifics on what prevented the parolees and people on probation for reoffending in the period following the officer's empathy training, the results suggest that a change in relationship dynamics played a key role. The officer is in a position of power to influence if it's going to be an empathetic or punitive relationship in ways that the person on parole or probation is not, Okunafua said. As our study shows, the relationship between probation and parole officers and the people they supervise plays a pivotal role and can lead to positive outcomes if efforts to be more understanding are taken into consideration. All right. Yep. That's, uh, so, yeah, that's everything for that. Um, a little empathy can go a long way. So, anyway, yeah, that's everything I got for today. You know, um, review uh, my podcast if you would. Like, subscribe, comment, share, you know. Um, and, you know, be sure to support my uh, podcast and my other content through, like, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, and uh, Cash App, you know, and uh, Patreon, of course. You know, uh, send me an email, any comments or questions you may have. Send me a voice message. You know, links will all be in the description below. So, yeah, have a wonderful day, everyone. Peace.